Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. Processes and tools dominate today's Agile discussions, but we are devoted to the individuals and interactions that make it work. From the beginner to the veteran practitioner, we have something for you. Welcome to Agile for Humans. All right, welcome to this week's episode of Agile for Humans. I'm your host, Ryan Ripley. Joining us from the, the satellite phone, Amitai Schleier. Amitai, how are you, sir? Good morning slash evening. It is four something in the morning over here in Germany. Yes, guten Morgen, Herr Schleier. Yeah, I think that's right. I think I got it. <laughs> Did I do it? So I'm not we, from here. I'm going to go along with it. Before we get too far into it, we got to say congratulations to Amitai. Amitai was recently married. Thank you, thank you. We are very happy, and that is why I'm in Germany. Hey, and we even got Zach Boniker back on the show. Zach, how is my favorite number one top shelf Agile coach? <laughs> top shelf. All right, top I'm, shelf. Top I'm, shelf, buddy. I'm doing great. I'm glad that my, what was it, the six-month suspension or ban or whatever you gave me, now that it's worn off, hopefully I can do better this time. Hey, I'm, I'm glad you're taking it like a champ. I am strict but fair. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, Zach was never banned. What happens in life is that we all get busy sometimes, and uh, I think the listeners know between having a new child, selling a house, buying a house, a new job, relocation, I've been busy. Amitai clearly has been busy with his international travels and speaking schedule and marriage, and Zach, I know you've been bouncing around and family and job, and it's all crazy, but I'm glad we got back together. I missed you guys, and uh, this is going to be fun. We, I think we're just going to bounce around a few questions and topics, see how... Sounds good. Something I'm loose. Good. I'm ready. You're loose, you're ready? All right, you haven't had too much schnitzel? You don't need a nap? <laughs> I did have one. I'm good now. All right, very good. So, guys, the, the Twitterverse has been going nuts. And no, this isn't going to be a no estimates kind of episode. People don't freak out. But the other type of stuff on Twitter that goes nuts, the thing that caught my eye recently, the Deloitte subway map of Agile practices. Have you guys seen this yet? <clears throat> I have. I don't know if I want to say, unfortunately, I have, or I'll just say I have, but it's one of those two. I cannot say that I have not seen it. <laughs> so the double negative means you have. Is that how the mathematics works there? I cannot deny. Right, and I and I agree to agree. <laughs> yeah, we're back, boys. We, we caught the magic. We're there. <laughs> <laughs> is this the show? This is the show. Wait, wait is this on? Oh, oh no! Wait, I'm, I'm talking into the wrong end of the mic. Hold on. No, so you so, probably want like some kind of opinion about this Deloitte map. Is that what that's well, about? Well, clearly it was. It really did look like some kind of London subway map or some crazy, crazy layout of the New York transit system. It really was sprawling and and just very complex. And, you know, and the Twitterverse went nuts. A lot of people up in arms about it. A lot of things being said. Just curious, your guys' take. You know, Zach, what did you when you see that kind of thing uh, pop up online? What what does it mean to our industry? What has it done to Agile? 
know, has it just totally overloaded the term and wrecked it? I think my my first reaction to it is and and where was and still is, I don't understand why twelve simple principles, four four simple values and twelve simple principles that help to guide us in our behaviors of building software requires an abortion of a subway map from hell with every buzzword that could pop. It's a kaleidoscope of buzzwords. And I, I, I don't understand why we are seeking to oversaturate and make overly complex what to me seems most successful when it's profoundly simple. You okay. guys could not hear the sound of my raised eyebrows, but they were raised. <laughs> So, Amitai, why have your eyebrows raised? Well, Zach used some strong language. Uh, you know, I'm I'm used to strong language in a different language right now, but that, that definitely rang a bell for me. Uh, my thought when I saw it, because all I've done is see it. I haven't looked at it. My thought is, whatever this thing is, is going to take some kind of like effort and focus and time commitment to really look at it. And I don't have that time right now. And part of my brain says Agile is not the kind of thing that should require that kind of time commitment to look at a map of anything. Uh, And so that was my snap judgment. And I set it aside to try to come back to it later when I could not make that judgment. But I do think it's it's some kind of an effort on the part of somebody that has encountered a lot of these ideas and used them to try to relate them to each other. And in that regard, I, I do think it's something that I want to make the time to understand. Because I, I have not tried to make that kind of effort for the ideas that I've seen in Agile. I just kind of have them all in my head. And I don't know if there's an ordering that I would suggest that they be introduced to somebody or that somebody move through them. But somebody has tried to do that. And that's that's a pretty Herculean effort. And I don't know what it's worth, but it's worth my time to look at it more closely. So I'm curious, Amatai, in looking at it, even though you know you haven't done a deep dive and a dissection of it, what gives you the impression that somebody's actually trying to relate things and create something coherent? Uh, it came to me, you know, that is a judgment too. Uh, I, I came to that judgment from the choice of metaphor, the subway metaphor, uh, and just at a glance, uh, looking locally at a couple stops next to each other in a couple different places and realizing that these are nearby ideas and maybe it's the wrong metaphor to say that you move through one to get to the other uh, but the idea that they're in the same neighborhood certainly did make sense and so i thought this isn't like a total waste of time i don't know what it is but it's not a total waste of time yeah yeah no i i understand that and you know it's funny is, is i want to believe that I'm, I, I don't want to be biased and, and just let because it's Deloitte influence my my perspective. But at the same time, it's hard not to otherwise, especially when you're looking at it. So I have the image up right now. And aside from, like I, I called it, just a kaleidoscope of, buzz, of buzzwords and a terrible subway map, I think the next closest thing that if I had to put something next to it, I, I, I might put um, the safe... Uh, big picture next to it and put a big sticky on it that just says these are things that are intended to influence sales decisions and that's really what i think it is is that a bad thing zach that people will create things to sell no i mean in a lot of ways it's the same it's kind of the same space that um you know like like our certification um uh, bodies you know are in they're they're doing things with probably a benevolent intent to some degree, uh, a service of some sort, but also a huge portion of that driver is is to profit. Um, when I look at this agile landscape, look looking through it is 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 amazing, right? Because there are so many things that are just absolutely irrelevant to put into some you know diagram of of relating things like. Like what? What am I looking at here? Um, uh, what is it? Um, parking lot. Parking lot is a thing <laughs> that goes into this agile landscape as we flow here. Here's another one. As we go through top five in parentheses ideas as a component, a part of this landscape that flows in. 
this doesn't make any sense, right? It really doesn't. You haven't heard of parking lot? No, I've heard of parking lot. But do you call are you, do you call the parking lot parking lot as part of the agile landscape? This is something that if I'm trying to like as you said it put put a relationship between practices um, and things that, that that we do and the ways that that we behave, parking lot would be part of that agile mindset. There's there's amazing stuff in here. I'm looking at irony everywhere. Here's a step in Kanban. It's it's Kanban, which again you you could argue really is not an agile thing. It's just something that we take advantage of. But here is visual waste and waiting, and I'm looking at a subway map that is just terrible. And there's a stop on this subway called visual waste. That's 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 <laughs> You know, it's interesting. I, Ardita Cry, she's the uh, she's Cambanian on Twitter. Uh, very, very smart, uh, agile coach. Uh, love listening to her talks. Saw her up in uh, Winnipeg, I think, last year. Uh, she had a pretty interesting tweet about this. She said, while agile coaches make fun of how overwhelming and difficult this is, referring to this chart, enterprises are all preparing to implement it and hire Deloitte. Mm-hmm. And it made me think of Zach's comment that this is a sales mm-hmm. tool. And, and I'm not sure it's a bad thing. And, and here's why. There is a set of people in this world that they are traditional management. Uh, they are at a, at a VP level. They're very bright. They have a lot on the line. And this map actually makes sense to them. And, and when they see this, they think, all right, there's a plan. There's a path. There's a means for me to move through the company in a defendable way and to get Agile started. And to me, that's actually a, a good thing. And, and here's why. Because... Yes, while that person may not, you know, and this gets into the doing versus being agile argument that's another one of my favorite, you know, flame bait, you know, clickbait type topics. But, you know, the fact that they're looking at agile is a plus, especially when these VPs have spans of control that could have 50, 100, 150 developers, product owners, business analysts. So now suddenly these people who are stuck in a more traditional waterfall environment may have the opportunity to see something that may look like Scrum or that may look like can or I'm sorry, Kanban. Uh, for those out there picking me apart for my pronunciation of Kanban, they don't like it's the not, Midwest. They Ryan, like the Midwest. Not, Ryan, Ryan, you don't eat, you don't eat tacos. You eat tacos. Taco, it's not Kanban. It's Kanban. Thank you. Kanban. There's Kanban tacos. <laughs> we're, 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 eating them them we're eating them after the show, Amitai. Yeah. yeah, sweet. But anyways, I mean, it, it's just it's an it's an on ramp, and this is an on ramp for executives. And when I saw this chart, my first thought was, oh, they're pitching board of directors and VPs and senior leadership trying to get in the door, uh, because quite honestly, I've been through some of these other sourcing kind of activities with companies like Deloitte and others. And they're not winning that game. Uh, they're struggling. Yeah, but, right. when, but when they start pitching to that audience in a way that makes sense to that audience, they may pick up some, co- some clients and some customers. Right? And if it gives some developer sitting in a cube the opportunity to be more collaborative and to have a better life uh, because some, some form of Agile took hold, I think that's a win. Do you really believe that that's going to happen? I, I, I mean, do you... Yeah, you really believe that I, I want to hear that's that. Going to happen through here? I mean, what what sort of precedent do, do, does any of our past? I'm, I almost did one of my my pet peeves. I almost said past history. Come on, like it's not history in the past. <laughs> but my what sort of history is very right, right. But what sort of like in, in from from a historical perspective, what sort of basis do we have to even make that claim? That when the, the the Deloittes come in to consult with the executives around things that most likely are designed to ensure a retainer, are we going to be delivering a quality of life to developers and the people further below? I don't buy it at all. I haven't seen it myself. Well, I, I think it, it's some of the, the fringe cases. It, perhaps it opens people's eyes to a better way of work and they go find a place that's better. And, and that's definitely a danger that these traditional organizations take on. You know, when, it, when a traditional company brings in a Deloitte and they go, they put 100 people through the CSM course and show people that there's a, 
a humane way to do work. And then when that company doesn't follow through and they continue to do some of the, the more abusive waterfall practices that doesn't value individuals and teams and people and, and safety and all of those great things, their eyes are open and they go to another company. So that I mean, makes you've sense. seen that. We've that talked sense. about this before. That's, that's, that's a thing. You're right. It is a thing. It is a thing. Um, I'm trying to, to, to stay, you know, in a good, <laughs> a non-emotional, you know, argument around it. But I, I think that what we're looking at, when we look at this Deloitte placemat, um, <laughs> is inherently harmful and harmful because it wasn't created with the best intentions in mind of the people that you said would be, hey, but if you know it helps give them a better quality of life. It, this wasn't designed to do that. This was designed to appeal to a you know an executive mindset of the colors and the things and it's laden with pick your pick your talking point, pick your buzzword that you can use to to sell. Oh, Oh, so wait, so so you'd like to get to, I'm just going to look, you'd like to get to the point of more feedback loops, but currently you're at, you know, kind of looking at decision trees. Well, let me walk you through this path that I get, they're unrelated. There's nothing, and there's no reason that it has to flow that that way. This is meant, in, while I can't say it's unethical, because, uh, you know, I believe in laissez-faire capitalism, you're going to, the market's going to set its own price, you're going to offer your product and they'll decide. So I won't say it's unethical from that perspective, but it's unethical from being in the agile community and looking at really trying to be in service to improving working conditions and results from a simple set of practices that detract us from an old mindset that you know we, we've realized isn't in service to the type of people that we have working and building software today. This wasn't designed to do that. This was designed to sell, to most likely keep retainers, you know, and, and income going around something that could, could go on forever because there really isn't anything, uh, any semblance of a plan here. I mean, for example, cumulative flow diagram is on here under delivery and it doesn't go anywhere. It's just this own little dot with a segment square. I mean, what, like, what, what is that? It's just a little thing that's on there and it's something that I can talk to and I can make up any story. About. When we do things like this, we further exacerbate this disconnect between people like you and I and not and Amitai who are working to, you know, really bring a mindset shift to stronger technical practices and stronger business practices and stronger people practices throughout all layers of the organization. And nothing, nothing about this is, is structured in a way that is in service to at least our mission. This is a large money company looking to continue to profit off of something that it probably just sees as a revenue opportunity. All right. I can't stay on the, on the positive side of this anymore. As a host, I'm trying to be devil's advocate. I hate this. Oh, were you, were you, I, here hate, I, was, I, I thought I was getting to argue with you for real. I, no, like, this is I so hate this chart. I get to challenge Ryan. I hate the chart. And I, I think what they've done is monetized <laughs> agile. You know what? I noticed it's not a subway map. That's that's the metaphor we assumed it's reaching for. It can't be a subway map because it has Moscow and Monte Carlo, and that's got to be more like a continental train map. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there's a stop. There's a stop, too. I just see it right here. Uh, it's right in the middle on one of these weird, obscure loops that don't seem to – I don't know why they loop. Poker planning. Poker planning is a part of Agile landscape. So this is good, right? Because we talk about bringing fun and games and, and maybe even gamification to teams if they're into it. Now we know that we can just play more poker. And we need to have sessions, planning. We need to do poker planning uh, to well, be part to, to be on our journey to Agile. Because after we do poker... To make sure that we have time to play poker enough. Yeah, because after we do poker planning, we can either uh, go towards... Uh, sprint planning or we can go to relative estimation so that's exciting so what is this map what is this what kind of impact if any does this have on our in our practice our community what is what is this done i think it uh, splits us into more than we already have just like our politics which we are not going to discuss i strenuously assert we're not uh the reason this splits us further into is that you have 
the consultants who are already willing to get on the bus with whatever complex picture they have to draw in order to sell what they have to sell. And there are a lot of those people who use the word agile. They're not people that we talk to a lot or identify with, but they're out there and they get paid for it. They get bought. Uh, and then, at the, and then there's us and there's, you know, people who know what simple means when we say simple, but not easy. This picture is simple, but not easy, but also not simple. And so, you know, to me, as one of the people who loves the heart of Agile itself, this is something that makes me turn away as much as I try to look at it and find some value in it. It makes me turn away. This is not the stuff that I come to share with people. The idea is not to have a map that proves that you have an entire map of this complex territory. The point is to have enough to take a step, and when I look at this, it makes me not want to take a step. Yeah. <clears throat> it's like, yeah it's, it's, where, do you, where do you begin? And this is, it's already a problem with just the manifesto, right? When you, when you start discussing the 12 principles that, that most people won't read, but when you get them to read the B-side of the manifesto and you're in the 12 principles, there's already enough confusion around 12 things. And now that you have this map that just covers an endless field of of concepts and and theories and processes, I mean, where do you even start? No, you don't. There, there, there is nowhere to start. And I think maybe that's the beauty of it <clears throat> from Deloitte's perspective is that they can pick anything. They can use any buzzword they want. They can interview their clients and figure out some of their pain points and maybe even hear some things and they can find it on here and say, great, we've heard your problems and look, we've even developed a map. We know your problem so well that we even put it into a map. We've got a landscape that covers your problem. I mean, the, 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 other, the other impact I guess I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of is for people who, who, who maybe are working at Deloitte or, or they come into Deloitte and this is their introduction – this is their indoctrination into what it means to look at, at Agile. I mean, I'm looking at their pathway of test-driven development that has three nodes. One, I think, starts with test. That's, that's useful. The other ends with the user story. And in between in test-driven development is acceptance criteria. Um, something about, I can't even read that, and context-driven testing. So it... There's so much about this map here that makes no sense to me that I, I yeah, I don't, I, I would just be fearful that, that people who, who start with this could end up, you know, down a pathway that, you know, they're never going to be able to, to really learn from. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, more with Zach and Amitai talking about Agile Coach Camp 2016 and a lot of other great topics. We'll be right back. Some of the events that I have personally enjoyed speaking at in the past are the TechWell Conferences. Star East is part of the TechWell Conferences family and it's coming up this May 5th through the 12th in Orlando. If you haven't already heard of it, Star East is actually one of the longest running and most respected conferences on software testing and quality assurance. There will be over 100 learning opportunities covering, of course, agile testing, plus test techniques, test automation, project management, mobile and Internet of Things testing, DevOps, and more. In addition to the learning sessions, the networking events include the expo with over 40 exhibitors, speaker one-on-ones where you can get some free consulting, and the very popular full-day bonus session, Women Who Test, for women in testing to learn from and be inspired by each other. As a thank you for being an Agile for Humans listener, Star East is offering up to $200 off your conference fees when you register with the promo code HUMANS. To learn more or take advantage of this offer, please visit well.tc forward slash star east humans. I'm thinking back to St. Louis where the three of us were able to get together at Agile Coach Camp. And I think Jason Tice did a wonderful job. The T-Rex facility was was amazing. Um, it was a very well put together conference. And I really appreciate Tice and his crew for doing that. But it was different this time around. What I found was the topics. The topics were, um, they felt safe, almost kind of sterile, kind of like that map we just looked at. And mm. I'm wondering if you guys are seeing that in other spaces or even if you agree with that opinion on Coach Camp. But the topics seem to be getting kind of dry. Yeah, I've, I've been, personally, I've been experiencing a diminishing return on open space events over the last few years. And that's not a knock on open space because they're fantastic. I, I, I can see two 
I guess two areas that that I might consider here is number one, I've just I've been to a lot of open space conferences, right? So I've I've heard a lot of different sessions, and I've just started to to cut into you know re, I guess re, reducing the probability that I'm going to really hear something new and 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 exciting. <clears throat> but two, one of the principles of open space is 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 creating a um, a theme that is meaningful to the attendees. And in my experience, most of the open space uh, themes are about making Agile better, bringing Agile to something, you know, growing Agile. Grow- so they're really open-ended and broad, and we're already passionate about it. I don't need an extra, you know, bit of motivation to care about Agile. Otherwise, I wouldn't have come to this Agile open space conference. So I wonder what it might be like to go to an open space conference that was really dedicated to a theme, something controversial, something that maybe challenges, you know, people's perceptions and assumptions, um, and that the attendees stick to it, right? Because we may try to actually answer or provide some answers to the question of that theme as an outcome. Um, instead, it just seems like it's an open space that half of it is people just wanting to hear themselves talk. I'd like to, you know, I'd like to promote something or I've got this great talk I want you to hear. And then the other half are just sessions that have kind of been done <laughs> many times. And, and that's just kind of where I feel or what, what my thoughts are with open space today. Huh. I just came from uh, Agile testing days. That's what brought me to Germany, uh, where it's not an open space conference primarily, but it has an open space the entire time. And it's pretty lively, at least when I ducked in there, it was. And uh, one of the things that jumped out at me about why, at least for me, even though I haven't gone to tons of open space conferences, uh, there was lots of learning for me at this one, is that it was more testing than Agile when it's Agile testing days. And I realized that pretty early on when I got to this conference at Lean Coffee that I did not have to restrain myself the way that I usually have to in a Lean Coffee conversation to not monopolize the conversation with all the ideas that come to my mind. Uh, And in this case, I didn't have to do that because people were talking about concerns that I was not familiar with from my own experience. I have not been a tester. And so the open space was dominated by similar ideas. Uh, The thing that was most like what I had done before in an open space was uh, Llewellyn Falco ran a real quick mob session. And that at least, you know, is familiar territory for me. But a lot of other stuff that was being talked about in there is just totally out of my experience. And that meant that it was really exciting for me. Yeah. So back to Coach Camp, if I could, uh, because it sounds like both of you have been to them before. Uh, I haven't. It was my first. And it wasn't, I guess, everything that I hoped for, but that's, that's a lot to pin on a Coach Camp. Uh, but it was, I thought, an opportunity that came up early on to figure out what I would do with it that was valuable. And that was that uh, early on we did a sort of an affinity grouping uh, to kick off the whole thing where uh, Tice and I forget who was co-facilitating with him read off some statements. And if you identified strongly with them, you would go toward the middle of the room. And if you identified opposite to them, you go to the far edge of the room. And one of them was, you know, I'm a developer. I'm, I think of myself as technical or something like that. And about 48 people went to the outer edges of the room and about seven came to the middle. And I thought, this is interesting. You know, agile coaching people say is separate from the software development more than we would like. And here it was staring me in the face. And so the idea that came up is maybe I can do something to give more of these people more of an experience of what it's like. And so I ran a couple, excuse me, I convened a couple sessions where we tried some ideas with that. And to me, it was it was uh, somewhat fulfilling and somewhat effective. And I got a lot out of sort of identifying for myself that this is a mission that I can have to help people who have not done software development work understand a little better experientially what it's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I was really grateful for that, too, because, you know, as we were talking earlier, um, at, at least one of the sessions you convened was a really helpful exercise that I, I and I've even told a few people about it. I, I ran it at the company I'm with now. Um and I want to write about it and just continue to, to share if I could find some time to write. That's my own fault, though. Um, but I, I was grateful for your approach. Um, people, 
that I wouldn't say that you, what you did was common, right? And, and, and you were very intentional about trying to get something out of it and looking at where you could deliver value. And I, I don't think that the majority of attendees, at least in my experience, um, you know, are, are, are looking for that same thing. I, I think there is some self-gratification that, that some people are looking to get when they go to open space, which is okay. Um, and, you know, the other ones just tend to be sessions that people feel like they want to get up there and convene something. And that's a, you know, a common topic that they've been talking or, or heard about. And so they'll just, you know, propose that because they know that people will talk about it. That's that's kind of been my experience, at least, at least in the last few years. So if we think that perhaps open spaces that we've been to recently haven't been that exciting, is it on us to actually bring some interesting topics to the table? Um, and what happened, Zach, when you did that? Well, yeah, I mean, on, on the last day, uh, I so I went to Coach Cam and said, here's what I'm going to do. I've been spending a lot of time um, at open space events convening and and networking and, and talking what i'm going to do this time is i'm going to try not to talk i'm going to try and i'm just going to listen and 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 hear everything new that's out there and just get as many perspectives as i can and by the end of the first day i was on you know i i, I wasn't very satisfied right so yeah i had to do that i had to say all right well let me introduce one thing that i know is always successful at a open space and that's a visualization exercise get a huge wall and ask people to visualize everything, um, everything that they know. And and I always seem to discover a new way of charting something or visualizing something that I had. Are you trying to make a delight map of your own? Yeah. Visualize yeah. everything. <laughs> right. What? I, <laughs> the truth comes out. Right. That, that's, that's why I'm so bitter. That's why I'm so bitter is because they, they they took beat, my idea. Yeah, they they beat me to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then convene another session just about. Um, I, I, I hated to do it, but I just wanted to throw out something controversial just to get some dialogue going with hopefully different ends of the spectrum so that I can insert myself as a facilitator so I could listen more and try to encourage, you know, both ends of, of that, of that dialogue, right. To encourage learning. So it can be in a session about how, what we do in general is inherently harmful when we do an agile transformation, <clears throat> the idea of inflicting versus inviting agile. And we ended up with a pretty good conversation. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just don't feel like I, I want to have to do that all the time. <laughs> I want to be able to walk into a session and be lazy um, that somebody like Amitai has done all the uh, the upfront work and, and show me something that's really new and exciting. It's just selfish. Upfront work. That sounds like an accusation when we were in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I wonder uh, if another application of the open space principle is that whoever you bring to an open space conference are the right people. Maybe that's our responsibility. I think that's a fair thought. I, but I think whoever shows up, like the rules state, you know, that's the right person, or those are the right people. I just, I, I think, the, I don't even know how to articulate this. It's just, I just wonder if. We're all just kind of playing it safe lately. If there is just, you know, we don't want to rock the boat. We want to make sure that things stay kind of even keel and we're not pressing. Are we pushing agile thinking forward or have we all gotten comfortable just doing our coaching thing, keeping it kind of where it's at and not really worrying about the next iteration of what we're supposed to be doing? Yeah. That's my, that's my fear. That's where I think... You know, that's when when I'm thinking about, all right, I'm about to coach someone on something. Am I just regurgitating all of the same stuff of the past, or, or am I really stretching and trying to come up with the solution for this situation? And I, I think sometimes it's hard. It, it's hard to, you know, when do you do that? When do you take the time to push out? See, that what's what's it's funny is is, as you say that people playing it safe, and 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 I, I agree we're. We're, we're talking about or we've been kind of exploring the you know, topics and, and people that, that are presenting things that, you know, always generate a good conversation, uh, estimates, you know, whatever. Um, but that they, they are kind of safe, right, because they are highly discussed. So I, I don't know if it's that people are just trying to play it safe or, or that how are we thinking about the next iteration of Agile. Uh, I, I, I can't help but feel, you know, just like when I look at that Deloitte subway map, so 
I think the next big thing with Agile is is actually getting to a point where, where we're pretty good at what Agile was intended to be in the first place. Right? I, I, I just have to you know, assume, and I don't want to speak on behalf of, you know, people like, like, um, you know, Alistair Coburn and Ron Jeffries and everyone and, and say that, you know, they envisioned, you know, the scaled agile framework, big picture and the Deloitte subway map and these sort of things. Um, I'm going to say that they didn't though. And so here we are at this point and maybe the next big thing would just be at the, you know, a step further back towards simplicity, like what Josh Karevsky is, is talking about with modern agile and the grows method and, and, and Alistair's heart of agile, just the simplicity of it and getting to the point where that is common in organizations. How do I iterate on something if we haven't even achieved kind of the simplest thing that could possibly work first? I would love for that to be the next step. Uh, and I think, it's tied up in my head and maybe because it's tied up in reality, I'm hoping uh, for the same reason that the solution to uh, how do we make sure we think big enough is tied to uh, are we practicing with, with enough care and discipline? And what I mean by that is, you know, my fear, my worst case scenario as an agile coach and consultant and developer is that I, you know, I had some great ideas once. Uh, I fulminated loudly. I made some episodes of a podcast that are that are sort of scripted and say my opinions in a really precise way. And I get more and more and more and more out of touch because I'm a consultant and I don't actually make the stuff. And the way I mitigate the fear myself for myself is that I have always wanted to alternate between, like it says in the manifesto, doing it and helping others do it and doing it and helping others do it. And I think that may be the solution for all of our industry is if more of us will hew more tightly to the idea that we're not only here to help others do it, we're here to do it. And that makes us better at helping others do it. That's what I think. Some of these topics that I think we wish would come up, there's one that that I saw a lot of activity around and I, I thought we would wrap up with kind of some thoughts on on what's played out around this whole idea that in order to be an Agile coat, you need a technical background. And I actually wish people would, would pop this up more at open spaces and at conferences because I think this is actually a highly controversial topic. It actually came up where I work quite recently, and it was a pretty lively discussion among the, the Agile coaching group uh, because it's you know split down the middle. Half of us have, you know, our careers are, are rooted in development, and the other half have never have never had to re- to create code to, to make their living. And so it is actually one of those, those interesting questions. You know, must you suffer uh, the path of the person that you're coaching first in order to actually be able to coach them? Or is there a way to be an effective coach without really having the experience in the role that, uh, that that person is filling? All right. I, you know, I'll bite on this one, but here, give, give me a sec. I'm, I'm building my soapbox. Hold on. I got a paint soapbox on it, so it's it's real, you know. So it's I'm really doing it justice. I'm really standing on a soapbox, real. Uh, <clears throat> I, I don't think that to coach somebody, you need to have a specific knowledge, right? So if we're talking about professional coaching, uh, you don't need to relate to somebody's, you know, technical skills or or really any skills in general, as long as you're able to, you know, be curious and in service to where they want to go and open up the doors and windows of their thought. And there may be times where, as a professional coach, you say, you know what, you're in a space right now that I don't think I can, I, I don't have the context to be able to go, and, and you're upfront with that person. So no, you don't, you don't need to be a developer to coach a developer. But I would be in favor of returning the phrase agile coach, whatever that is and whatever that means, and if anyone even cares about that title, but to return that to the people who can serve, can be in service to a software organization as a technical coach from, you know, with, within the context of Agile. I believe those are Agile coaches. And I'm saying this for you guys know this and for anyone listening, I am a wonderfully mediocre programmer. My technical skills are just enough to be able to relate and understand, but I cannot coach a software developer or a team from a technical perspective other than encouraging them to explore, you know, solid technical practices. 
I cannot teach them TDD, nor should I. So knowing that, I'm still saying that the, the, what we call Agile Coach should be those people. And we can come up with whatever name we want, you know, Rainbow Fire Truck, you know, Puppy Kisses Coach for the organizational and, and business systems of work that we try to coach with people and, and management and things like that to enable the technical people to flourish. When I hear that you don't need technical skills to be an agile coach, I, I fall back on the agile manifesto being born from the technical discoveries of better means of building and creating software. So I don't know why we would want to consider anything other than somebody who can be a professional technical coach as a strong agile coach. We can come up with other things and maybe that's what, what we should be called because maybe that's a better description of what contributions such people can, non-technical people can make to an organization because they can, but I just don't know if agile coach is, is, is fair. Well, and there's there's no shame in being someone who can coach someone professionally or coach an executive in particular uh, and just not feel comfortable getting near code with the coder. There's, right. Those are extremely valuable things to be able to do. Uh, and to the extent that I do care about the label Agile Coach, uh, just so that I don't get misunderstood about what I do, because sometimes I'll call myself that, uh, I definitely think that if I'm going to be the most effective coach in an agile context that I can be, that entails that, you know, whatever situation I'm in, whether it's with a manager or with an executive or with a developer or with a tester, that I know something about how to operate myself that helps those people, that makes myself understood by those people, that earns trust from those people and ultimately helps them in some way that they care about. And so... For me, if I couldn't bring any of those things to the table, if any one of them was missing, or whichever one is the weakest right now, that's the one I want to work on for me as myself. I don't say that everybody has to do that, but that's what I do. Now, in terms of do you have to know a particular domain or area in order to coach that? No, but it definitely levels up the difficulty if you don't. And in particular, in software and in knowledge work in general, um, it is the kind of work where if you haven't done it before, it's very easy not to realize how important it is that you don't know what it's like. And so as a maybe there's a better way to put that, that the only way to have a feeling for what knowledge work is like is to have done some of it or something like it or something analogous to it. Yeah. And if you haven't, it's very easy to have a blind spot where you feel confident coaching people about it, but you, you really don't have a good model for it and it's counterproductive. Yeah. And so you can, if you are smart enough and you have enough practice and enough intention and enough coaching chops, you can get around that. But the level of difficulty is high. A way to make it easier, a way to require less empathy and less effort on the part of the person in the coaching position is for them to have had a hand in something like the situation that they're looking at so that they don't have to imagine or that they don't have to somehow work around the fact that it's a blind spot. Yep. And so that's why I'm suggesting for the industry as a whole that if we want to get better at delivering software the way Zach is saying, the way that, that Ron and Alistair and their friends actually said, then... I think we need people who aren't developers to move closer to the developers. People who feel like they're non-technical to feel like, you know what, I still want to pair with the developer a little bit because I should know more as a coach or as a tester or as a manager or what have you. I should know more about how the sausage gets made because this is our lifeblood. This is our business. And so I owe it to, to the team to make a little bit of an effort in their direction if that's where they are. While, while I know I'll never be a an A plus software developer. I, I care enough to not, you know, Amitai, you, you said, hey, maybe I'll sit down and I'll pair with developer. I, 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 I don't do that in my current, you know, world intentionally because I don't feel qualified or at that level of respect or, or of respect to the person to put them through that. Um, <clears throat> I don't like to inflict, you know, hurt on people where possible. So I guess, <laughs> um, but I do make the effort to understand software development, of coding, of, of being able to relate and understand. Again, I can't, unlike you, Amitai, I can't help solve their problems. But 
my my aim is to at least be you know seen as somebody who cares about their craft who cares about their way of thinking about their challenges and struggles and who can relate um, just so that we can build that that common you know bond and 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 trust and and you know have a have a stronger working relationship um, but under my definition or kind of what I'm throwing out there I would say I'm I'm I don't think I should be called an agile coach I think people like you Amitai should be rightfully called an agile coach but as you said you know also there is value in some of the non-technical aspects that can bring you know good good to the software teams and to the people building software across you know many levels and these are things that need to change there are systems of work and organizational uh change and mindset change and management you know coaching and things that 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 help and so we have these people that are also able to um to to contribute a lot of value to an organization what do we call them that that's probably me what do we call them i don't know if it should be agile coach i don't care what we get called but i i, I think that the fact that there are a number of people that say, you know, you, you don't have to know software development. You don't have to speak technical. You don't have to really put your fingers to the keyboard and know how to write code to be an effective agile coach is something that contributes to a problem when it comes to, you know, agile in general. You know, we're, we're talking about the role of a coach. And at least for me, that puts me in a certain mindset of uh, when I get into a one on one situation with someone like a developer at a keyboard. Uh, what I expect of myself about what I can see versus what they can see, what I'm ready to do versus what they're ready to do. Uh, I expect to see more than they do. I expect to be ready to suggest more than they do. And that isn't necessarily what's involved. Uh, it could be that, uh, you know, I come in and I'm, I'm coaching a team and they're working in a programming language I've never seen before or with some technology I don't know about. And, uh, one aspect of building a relationship with them, which really I think is what I'm recommending more than any particular technical skill. I think I'm recommending for someone who wants to be an agile coach that they find a way to build a closer relationship with people in all the different roles so that empathizing with what the work is like is easier. And what that could look like in a case where I haven't seen that language before or whatever else it is could be hey, uh, I don't know anything about that. So this will be a different kind of pairing if you're willing to do it, uh, where I watch a lot and ask some questions and don't really help you at all. (laughs) Does that sound okay? Because I'm interested and I'd like to know what it's like for you. And some developers will say, no, thank you. And some will say, huh, that's interesting. That's independent of of whether I'm ever going to be able to pay that back to them in some technical way that helps them finish a story. It's purely because uh, I'm a person here, you're a person here, and I want to know about your work. So I I think we landed on it the I mean, like, like almost everything. It seems in our space, we there's a. It depends. I think we agree that if you if you don't have the experience of creating software at some level, you know, whether it be on your own programming or, or having been a developer in the past, if, if you really cannot relate to the thought process, the challenges, the the knowledge, and the struggles. That, it, that, that occur in, in, in building software with people, I don't think you have a, a strong case to be able to say that just because you may have professional coaching skills and you've studied a lot of Agile, that you can really be effective in, in serving people building software. You've got to have that means to relate and have a working relationship that, that just goes beyond with you know, beyond just caring about them personally. If I, I can make that a little more concrete, just to add yeah, on to that. Yeah, please, please do. Luke. To make it more concrete, the uh, the idea that a coach is someone who helps uh, you know notice something or ask a question that that raises some thoughts and lets a person see their own situation. Uh, if you are a trained and skilled professional coach but don't know which are the questions that you should ask when it's a software problem, yeah. uh, then you aren't able to coach effectively in that context. It doesn't mean that you're bad. It doesn't mean you don't know how to coach. It means here's a situation where a person needs a kind of help that you don't know how to raise those questions. That person still needs that help. And that means that they need to turn somewhere else for it, or you need to turn somewhere else to figure out how to provide it. That's all. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's a scary trap in there that uh, that's easy to fall into. And, and what I mean is, you know, say you are coaching, or say, is, you know, like Zachary. You know, Zach, you and you and I could be uh, in a coaching situation 
uh, neither one of you know it's been a number of years since I've made my my living writing code. I think you are taking your first steps into some form of coding, which is which is great. I think you're you're working on some Python and and that's a a fantastically fun language to to mess around with. But when we get into a deeply technical issue, and the teams truly need, you know, an Amitai Schleier to show up and 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 really sling some code and and get some and model some some very good developer practices and behaviors, I think it's on us to call people like him in. But I think that's also really really scary. It is scary bringing Amitai into a company here. Right? Well, no, I don't mean him directly, but <laughs> it's one of those where I think part of the problem is. What have I done? But the scary part is with the way that the the term agile coach has been so overloaded, and even with those big subway maps like Deloitte, I think feeds into this. Uh, we're supposed to know everything in all situations, and so when they hire a coach, it's well, what do you mean you can't teach TDD? Mm. You know, what do you mean you can't get through uh, this technical barrier? Uh, why do I need a, yet another person? I, I think it's a real thing and a real fear that. Well, if this Amitai guy can come in and he knows, you know, as much agile stuff as you do and can code, now you're out of a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I'm I'm thinking of the the framework that um, Lisa Adkins and Michael Spade have at the Agile Coaching Institute where they get into their mastery of the organization of business related concepts and technical concepts. And they, they very neatly say, look, if, if you can't claim a level of proficiency in all three of these portions, I mean, being able to understand them, then then you can't really be in this space of agile coaching. Um, you may not be deep enough in technical to be a mentor to people on a team from a technical perspective, but you may be deep enough in the organizational side and, and, and the systems of work and the, to be able to at least coach them right and maybe create the space for just like you said ryan being able to bring in technical coach or help or training or workshops or you know one-off things right where they can get some skills that that, that they need so i think that that's generally true because they, they they say it's, it's really difficult to have deep mastery in all three of those things just due to the amount of time and knowledge and and just you know there's a lot to learn in all those things right but I do know I can think of people off the top of my head that can probably claim two out of those three deep, deep, deep mastery, um, usually with the organizational side and the technical side. And again, I think those are the people that we should rightfully call agile coach. If I'm working, absolutely, with, yeah. If I'm working with a team that um, that lacks, you know, a lot of uh, of, of of technical skill, um, or they're working in a code base that. Um, you know, just, just, I, I, I forget if it's Ron, if it's Ron who said it, but, um, or if, it, if I think it was Chet maybe, but anyways, um, where there's no amount of agile practices that'll help you if your code base sucks, because your code still sucks, right? You're not going to be able to do anything. Um, so if that's the space that the team is working on, I, I can't work there and all, all, at least I'm not the person that, that you should start with. Right. They need they, they need to be able to have technical coaching and technical skills to improve their code base and improve the way that they build that, that that they write code and build software before we can even start to talk about improving systems of work beyond just the local team level and the actual software the, the actual you know code, code base um, and that again to me that that's why this phrase agile coach should rightfully go to the people that can be in service to, to, to teams and people building software at that level. Because that's truly the heart of Agile, is the technical side. And this is coming from if somebody who's called an Agile coach who can't do it and saying, <laughs> and what's right is that I not be that person. And I, I omit Because your concern is that, is that teams and organizations that need someone who can handle the code side with them also be who they find. And I'm my worry with all of this is that it doesn't matter what we want people to to mean when they say some words. We're not going to win that battle. So how do we make sure that and this is opening a big door? Maybe we don't want to walk through it right now. How do we make sure that teams in a situation like that or organizations find someone who can help them with the problems they have? If by definition, maybe they don't know which are the problems that they have. And I and I think it's one that as I look at the clock, I think we should 
commit to coming back to and making that our first and maybe only topic for a show. I think it's interesting. How should a company approach, or how actually let's do it like this: How can a company approach uh, selecting an agile coach? Because I think it's important to provide some some tips and feedback on this. I think we can do a little prep work and put together a really good episode on this, um, and that one could actually be a lot of fun. I do want to I close would love off. To- can I tell a quick story about it, and then we could yeah, yeah. call it good for this one? Uh, so I went to. Words or less. <laughs> I'll see if I can do it. It's not my story. Uh, Ron Jeffries told the story. It's a story of how Kent Beck came to be invited to Chrysler in the first place to make the C3 project happen. And the first part of that is that how did Chrysler know who Kent Beck was that they should invite him for anything? And that's that they had been going to the Oopsla conferences about object-oriented programming. And they knew his name from that because he had presented about that kind of stuff. Uh, and they were having some kind of a performance problem, they thought, with their software, the, the payroll software that later turned into the C3 project. And so they brought in Kent to, to diagnose what's wrong with the software that they're writing. And this is Ron's version of the story. I don't know what was actually happening. I wasn't there. Ron was shortly thereafter there. Ron says that Kent did not diagnose their problem as a software performance problem. He diagnosed it as a project performance problem. And then he had a bunch of specifics about what wasn't going well about the project. And the, I believe it was the CIO of Chrysler said, oh, that's interesting. You seem to know a lot about this stuff. How about you stick around and fix it for us? And Kent tried to say, no, 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 I'm done now. I did what you asked me to do and I don't want to do any more. And then the Chrysler CIO said, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm the CIO of Chrysler, and we would like you to stay some more. (laughs) And so uh, that's where Kent brought in Ward and Ron, if I understand the story right. And that's, you know, they they were invited to be there because Ward invited them. And Ward was invited to be there because he was an object-oriented person who was known from conferences. And none of that had much to do with what they wound up, you know, inventing with XP at Chrysler. Uh, it's just enough to get them in the door, and then they were cross-functional teams in and of themselves enough to see the bigger organizational problems that Chrysler actually had that made them do what they did. For me, the moral yeah. of the story is be known for something, because that gets you into a door, and then be a lot broader than what you're known for, so that when you're in there, if they have something bigger going on, you're equipped to see it, uh, and maybe equipped to be heard when you tell them about it. And... That's maybe that's the T-shaped person. I don't know, but uh, that's that's what I took away from the story. I was on the fence on this particular topic when it comes to, you know, does an agile coach have to be technical? I was on the fence, but I would lean towards yes. And then I met a fellow agile coach, and I think you guys met him in St. Louis, and he presented uh, a different way of doing a retrospective. And I don't know if you guys got to see that or not, but what I found is uh, this person, while not having a deep technical background, is an amazing facilitator, is an out-of-the-box thinker, comes up with ways to generate amazing insights about teams, and somehow keeps them aligned and focused on their goals, which can be far more valuable than any technical expertise or any any technical input, depending on where the team's at and what's going on, of course. But uh, that finally put me over the edge, and I think for that person, he's a, he's well-known for retros. And it, uh, it's something that, you know, when a, when one of my teams is struggling and I, I need a new retro idea, he's who I go to. And, uh, you know, when he's having trouble with test-driven development and he, you know, he pops over and says, hey, Ryan, can you jump on a keyboard for a minute? And I say, no, but, uh, <laughs> but I can do 30 minutes on TDD and point them to the right books and, and I might jump on a keyboard too. But, I mean, you're known for different things, but I think it's possible... Uh, to be incredibly effective if you deep dive one of these skills. And I think the retro is one that if you don't have a technical background and you can become amazing at facilitating and coming up with different types of retrospectives, I think you can be successful. No, I, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. Uh, the, these are, I think in our conversation, um, we we touched on a number of times, and when I spoke, if I discredited a lot of those skills, um, I didn't mean to. They are valuable, 
they are in service to an organization, its mission, it's within the context of Agile and proving conditions, working conditions and results, it's all relevant. Uh, my argument really centers around what we call Agile coaching. Right. I think speaks to what Amitai was was highlighting from the technical person. You, it, we've got this thing that's Agile coach, right? And, and it's a made up thing. Maybe we it doesn't need to be made up anymore and it needs to be specific to somebody who can bridge the organization with the technical skills. But there are people like your 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 you know you 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 mentioned that bring other qualities that are highly important to an organization also. I wonder if we could come up with a different term for them or something that just I I think makes that distinction clear. Um, a system like systems coach or uh, organizational coach. I don't know, whatever. It could be something else, but it's clearly coaching. It it should have a foundation in the the you know a a a knowledge of technical skills, right? To be, to talk in an agile context, you you have to at least have some technical knowledge, some some knowledge of building software to relate. But that your deeper skills are in some of the fundamental systems of work that kind of make agile go with people rather than the code. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And uh, I think this will be a fun topic to pick up next time. Just how, how does all this work? What is an Agile coach? How do you pick one? So let's say you're hiring a, a you have a need, you've identified a need for a coach. You know, how do you know what you need? Who should you talk to? How should you go about it? I think that'll be an interesting talk as well. But I think we've not only come to some form of conclusion on this one, but we've even made a commitment to a future episode that I think is going to be pretty exciting. So with that said, I think we're do, at a wrap-up. Do I need to have technical skills to participate in that next one? No, we're going to waive that requirement. Only if you, you define yourself that you do so that you don't have to be in a conversation. <laughs> that's right. That's your, that's your back door out. Now, I, I think it's interesting to... I think for the next show that we do together... Let's do a little, we may actually plan this one a little bit. We will come up with definitions of an Agile coach. I don't think there's just one. Uh, we'll then talk through, because I've actually, I've been in a position to hire a coach. I think you guys have been in positions to be hired as a coach, as I have. And so I think between the three of us, we have experience on both sides of that desk, or on the of both sides of that decision. And so we can talk through that. And what you know, when it's our money or our company's money, what we're looking for, and maybe that will help other people in their decisions. So with that said, we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, this is the the point of the show where the guests have the opportunity to uh, talk about anything they like, promote whatever they like, and give the listeners the opportunity to reach out, connect, and and say howdy. So Amitai, from beautiful, where are you in in Germany? I am in uh, near Hamelin, uh, where the Pied Piper from Hamelin came from. Near there. Play your song, Amitai. Tell people how they can follow you in a in a rhythmic way. I will be presenting at um, Agile and Beyond in Michigan. Also, I think that's in May. And beyond that, as usual, I am at schmanz.com and uh, schmanz on Twitter. And there are some twinklings of some new things coming for Agile in three minutes. So if you had perhaps removed your subscription to that podcast, maybe you want to re-add it so that when something new happens, you will get it first. That's right. Agile in three minutes, the best Agile podcast that lasts under four minutes on uh, (laughs) iTunes. Yeah. (laughs) Nailed that segment. Totally. It's all mine. Nailed it. Zach. Market leader. My friend. Zach, my friend, I know you're you're active in the Agile Coffee community out in uh, beautiful San Diego, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, what else are you up to? Well, I I would encourage everyone, you know, listening in 2000 in early 2017, there are two chances to come out to San Diego uh, around the winter and springtime. Um, while our weather isn't the best in San Diego, it gets pretty unbearably cold around 65, 68 degrees um, during that 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 time. You could still come out. Um, in February, we talked about open space, but in February, there's the open space for San Diego, for the San Diego Agile community. And it's a cool chance to come on out and, and um, you know, convene a few sessions, right, for our local our local community. That's in February. It's <clears throat> Agile Open San Diego. 
Uh, you can see it as part of the Agile California uh, website, but a simple Google search will, will, will get you there. And then in um, April is the Global Scrum Gathering in San Diego, you know, the major Scrum conference. But it's in San Diego, so hey, it's a big conference. There's a lot of wonderful speakers the, this year. It's a great chance to come on out to San Diego. I'd love to see you there. Go have a, a couple beers and talk Agile in the Gaslamp District. That would be lots of fun. So come on out and see us. San Diego is a cool city and a fun place to be when it's cold where you are and still cold here around 65 degrees. Uh, otherwise, so Zach, correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't you one of the speakers at uh, the upcoming Global Scrum Gathering? Um, yeah, but don't oh, yeah. but don't come for that. That's 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 no reason to come. Um, come I in spite of that. Yeah, come. <laughs> what, <laughs> that's what, what Zach wants to say. Yeah, what Amatai said exactly. What Amatai <laughs> said. Um, there's many great speakers. I, I won't put me in there, but there's going to be other people With- that you could go to that would be worth your travel. All right. Um, otherwise, um, I, I, I blog at a WordPress site, Agile Out, Agile Out Loud, um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Zach Boniker. All those links will get into the show notes so that you guys can uh, harass these two to your heart's content. They love the attention. Please uh, reach out and say hello and ask them all the, all the great questions that came up during this episode. And I'm your host, Ryan Ripley. Really excited about uh, the partnership with TechWell this year. Talked a little bit about Star East at the the middle of the show. A uh, really great lineup they have. A lot of uh, opportunities to see some great speakers. One of my favorites, Bob Galen, is keynoting and doing a number of sessions, uh, partnering up with Mary Thorne uh, to talk about uh, team tactics that deliver the goods and leadership from concept to product. So Bob and Mary will be giving those great talks. Just a really interesting lineup. Really hope that as many Agile for Humans listeners as possible can get out to Star East. Use the code HUMANS, save $200 off your entry fee, and uh, would love to hear your experiences out at Star East. And with that said, uh, thank you for being out there. Thank you for listening, uh, and have a great night. Thanks for listening to Agile for Humans. Let's keep the conversation going. Drop us a question on Twitter at Agile for Humans. Or visit agileforhumans.com. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and scrum on.